Glorious devotees, thank you so much for attending another presentation on Srila Jiva Goswami's Satsandarvas. Today we begin discussion of the Krishna Sandarva. This discussion will be um, a detailed um, review of all the Anuchedas. Um, and we will continue now. Uh, just a reminder of the significance of the Sandarbas. Um, this is by, uh, uh, this is from a verse written by, excuse me, composed by Sachin Das, who has given us the English translation, which we are speaking from. Uh, one who has not undergone comprehensive study of Satsandarbhas must struggle to assimilate the message of Srimad Bhagavatam. One who has studied Satsandarbhas, however, will have no misgivings about the essential meaning of Srimad Bhagavatam. So first, a short introduction based on uh, the introduction uh, written by Sachin Das, taking out some key points uh, just to uh, highlight the significance of this particular Sandarbha, the fourth in the presentation by Sri Jiva Goswami. Uh, notwithstanding Krishna's enigmatic nature, 
Um, it is essential to gain a clear picture of his true ontological status in order to grasp the significance of the Bhagavat Purana and the method by which it self-discloses truth, namely bhakti yoga. So Krishna's enigmatic nature is certainly there. Um, he's known uh, uh, as the speaker of Bhagavad Gita, one of the most profound uh, discussions on uh, transcendental philosophy uh, to Arjuna on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. Uh, he's known for his uh, amazing pastimes uh, 5,000 years ago and uh, his uh, being the butter thief, uh, the child of Mother Yasoda, uh, marrying 16,108 wives in Dwarka, being a profound prince at that time, and also for his earlier uh, romantic affairs in Vraj um, uh, with the young gopis. He is stealing of their garments and other such dalliances. So, uh, irrespective of that, still, there's some misunderstanding as to his true ontological status. Uh, as a general rule, Krishna is viewed as a Leela avatar of Vishnu or of Narayan. So the Krishna Sandarbha is there to specifically to establish the ontological position of Bhagavan Sri Krishna in relation to all the Lord's other manifestations. And prior to the Krishna Sandarbha, uh, and specifically prior to the advent of Sri Shaitanya Mahaprabhu, uh, this specific distinctive characteristic of Bhagavan Sri Krishna or Krishna, Vraj Krishna as we know him, uh, was not truly and fully exposed. Uh, so, it's all this this kind of a, an approach and an understanding of of Krishna's ontological position in relationship to all the manifestations of the Supreme Lord uh, is really coming as part of the dispensation of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Goloker Premadan Hari Nam Sankirtan. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Sankirtan is bringing into human society the topmost conception of spirituality as seen in light of the internality of the Lord's Leelas with his most intimate associates in Galok. Um, that topmost transcendental realm. So a little more here from the introduction. Srimad Bhagavatam specifically propounds the supreme dharma of humanity, which is love for Bhagavan, our very source and refuge. To be infused with transcendental love for Bhagavan, authentic and unambiguous knowledge about him and his essential being is of the utmost importance. Since Bhagavan has innumerable forms, such as Vishnu, Ram, Krishna, and Nasringa, the question must be asked, are they all equal primordial in their cons 
institutional status, or is there some hierarchy of being among them? To address this question, Sri Jiva Goswami wrote this book, Krishna Sandarbha. The conventional and for the most part unexamined point of view is that Krishna is simply an avatar of Vishnu. In Krishna Sandarbha, Sri Jiva Goswami uproots this misconception, demonstrating that Bhagavan Vishnu, being ontologically related to the play of creation and hence to eminence, is himself implicitly included within a more complete transcendent whole, avatari, or source of the avatars, or descents of the supreme into the material manifestations, technically known as Swayam Bhagavan, who is clearly identified in the text as Sri Krishna. By first establishing a comprehensive universal understanding of Bhagavan in Bhagavat Sandarbha, Jiva Goswami laid the foundation for a detailed investigation into the ontology of Swayam Bhagavan in Krishna Sandarbha. So as we've explained many times, the first three of the six Sandarbhas are an, a very elaborate unpacking of the verse Vedanti tat tat bhavidas tatvam yas jnanamadvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavan iti subjate. So the supreme non-dual absolute is viewed by various transcendentalists as Brahman without specific characteristics, Paramatma as eminent within the material manifestations, and as Bhagavan, according to the angle of vision. So now we're coming to having elaborated fully, excuse me, on that point, Jiva Goswami now goes on to the Pariva Sutra of the Srimad Bhagavatam, the key that unlocks the secrets of the text itself, Krishnastu Bhagavan Swayam. Now, this is all based upon a statement made by Sutta Goswami in the third chapter of the first canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. After elaborating on all the different avataric descents of the Supreme, he, he makes this statement that of all these, the Swayam Bhagavan, the original personality of Godhead, is Bhagavan Sri Krishna. So we are going to find here in the beginning of the Krishna Sandarbha an elaborate unpacking of the third chapter of the first canto of Srimad Bhagavatam and the statements made there uh, by Sutta Goswami in response to one of the six questions by Sunaka. That question being, could you explain the descents of the Supreme Lord, the manifestations of the Supreme Lord that have come into the material manifestation? <clears throat> so, again, more from this introduction. In the very beginning of Tatvas and Darbla, he Sandarbha, he clearly stipulated that the subject of the six Sandarbhas is meant specifically for those whose sole aspiration is to be immersed in the bhajan of Sri Krishna. So 
again, a unique addition to Amangala Charna by Jiva Goswami, a qualification for the reader. Coming out of a general Mangala Charna verse uh, intended to bless uh, blessings upon the reader or one who approaches a spiritual text. So we have praise for the Supreme Lord, uh, an elaboration on the subject matter, and uh, various benedictions that are available through a text. These are the general verses that comprise a Mangalacharna. So we can actually see this specific qualification verse coming out of both, an explanation of the text, a Mangalacharna explaining the text itself, and this text is for those that want to immerse themselves in bhajan for Sri Krishna. This, this is the specificity of the Bhagavat Purana itself. It may not be seen by all schools of Vaishnavas as specifying Sri Krishna, because not all schools of Vaishnava thought accept the Pariva Sutra that the Gaudiya's do of Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam. But we do, and therefore the Sandarbhas of Jiva Goswami are for Gaudiya Vaishnavas, for those that want to immerse themselves in bhajan for Krishna and have an ideal of Sri Krishna as their istadev, as their ultimate attainment. Continuing, in order for a devotee to be rightly established in bhajan, he must have a clear understanding of the true nature of his object of worship. In Krishna Sandarbha, Sri Jiva Goswami provides this distinct and esoteric knowledge of Krishna, the supreme worshipable deity. I'm just going to continue here. Sri Jiva Goswami traces out Krishna's factual status among all the avatars of Bhagavan based upon his careful study of the Bhagavat Purana. Not only does he demonstrate that Krishna is the original form of God, Swayam Bhagavan, he goes a step further to establish a hierarchy within Krishna's own multifaceted manifestations. In this respect, he discloses that Krishna, as a cowherder and lover in Vraj, is superior to his manifestation as a royal statesman in Mathura and Dwarka. This fact is so obtruse that even among Vaishnavas, there are some who have difficulty in comprehending and accepting it. This precise realization, however, is crucial for the practice of Raganuga Bhakti, or pure devotion in the wake of natural affection, which is the subject of the next book in this series, Bhakti Sandarbha. So here, Jiva Goswami is going to firmly fix us in the ontological reality of Bhagavan Sri Krishna. And even within the different doms or places of transcendental leela of Krishna, there is a hierarchy. And Krishna manifests his most Uh, most unique characteristics in Vraj. His flute playing is only there in Vraj. His Leela, wherein those involved in the Leela and even he himself set aside 
His godliness is there in Vraj. His, the beauty of his form is most fully manifest in Vraj, and his leelas there, and his leelas there are the topmost, Prema Madhurya. So these four specific characteristics of Krishna are there in Vraj, and these are the quintessential uh, manifestations of his true spiritual opulence. Although you could say that he manifests his opulence where he's worshipped as God, his true opulence is manifested in Vraj in these four specific manifestations of love that are his characteristics there. And if we think this, just to uh, take a little aside here and look at what is our practice of bhakti, truly what we are trying to do is we are, we are, we are immersing ourselves in an appreciation of Krishna in his most intimate manifestation. Developing an appreciation is appreciation for him in this, in this form with these associates and in this environment um, is central to our practice of Raghunuga Bhakti. But as pointed out here, in order to fully immerse ourselves in such a practice, we must have a comprehensive understanding. We will note as we proceed in this exploration of Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha that in the beginning, Jiva approaches the ontological reality of Krishna in a very methodical manner and in a very thorough manner, which may seem a little over the top, we could say, like we, we understand Krishna is God. Well, yes, that's okay, but do we really understand? So this pounding of the post is going to be quite evident, especially here in the very beginning of Krishna Sandarbha. So Krishna Sandarbha is therefore the most important of all the ontological writings in the Gaudiya Vaishnava school because it unravels the mystery regarding the Gaudiya Vaishnava's worshipable deity, which gives the school its unique identity. Shujiva Goswami wrote the first three Sandarbhas, Tattva, Bhagavat, and Paramatma, based on the Bhagavat Purana's famous Vedanti verse. While treating their own graded thematic subjects, these first three Sandarbhas ultimately serve as an introduction to the fourth volume, Krishna Sandarbha, in which Sri Jiva Goswami ascertains the identity of the original form of Bhagavan. And that's just a short introduction. Uh, it is followed in the uh, written presentation by an overview, but since we're going to 
go deeply into the subject step by step. Uh, we'll just dive right in and go to the very first Anucheta. Krishna is Swayam Bhagavan, the source of the Purusha avatars. It would seem that Jiva Goswami is, is covering ground that he's already covered in his Paramatma Sandarbha. But there is some logic here because he's, he begins by pointing to Sutta Goswami's third chapter the, as given in the third chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So he's going to go comprehensively through those verses and, and highlight what's coming from the Bhagavatam in light of the Pariva Sutra and in light of other statements in the Bhagavatam. So, we, so when we actually come to this Parivas Sutra, we can see how the key works, how it fits in the lock to unpacking a comprehensive understanding of all the different manifestations of the Supreme Lord. And we can see that this is one of the unique characteristics of the followers of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, their unpacking and complete analysis of what's in the Bhagavatam. Take, for example, the Bhagavatam's second chapter, the very second chapter, wherein Sutta Goswami outlines the step-by-step -step stages of involvement in the practice of bhakti. Now, that section, of course, becomes a verse and, and is further unpacked by Rupa Goswami in his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Adao, Shraddha, Tatasadu, Sangho, Tha, Bhajana, Kriya, etc., all the different nine stages of devotional practice are unpacked there. We have a more elaborate unpacking of those verses um, in by Vishwanath himself uh, in his uh, Madhurya Kadambani, uh, where he, he really elaborates on those verses as presented by Sudha Goswami and, and gives us basically a handbook for our practice of devotional service uh, according to where we are in those various advancing stages. What are the characteristics of those stages? What, are, what should we expect to be going through? Uh, and as we advance in our devotional practice. So just a few verses from the Bhagavatam are unpacked uh, by Vishwanath there in Madhurya Kadamani, are further elaborated on by Rupa Goswami to give us a, a handbook for devotional life in his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, uh, of which we have a summary study by uh, Srila Prabhupada, which he called the handbook for Krishna consciousness, the nectar of devotion. So now we see that here we have Jiva Goswami going to the third chapter of the first canto of the Bhagavatam and giving us a, a comprehensive unpacking of what Sutta Goswami presented there 
in response to Sunaka's question regarding the avataric descents of the Supreme. So you'll see it's going to be quite, quite comprehensive. And although there does seem to, there is this pounding of the post regarding the Purusha avatars or those avataric manifestations of the Supreme, which bring about the material uh, world, um, it, it's, it's, it's a further elaboration, which takes us deeper into uh, this understanding. Our discussion of the Krishna Sandarbha will be complete. So I will be reading the complete Anuchedas uh, as presented in English and then taking highlights from the commentary and also commenting there. So uh, let us begin. Jiva Goswami begins, begins his Krishna Sandarbha as follows. This Krishna Sandarbha is now being undertaken to determine the precise identity of Sri Bhagavan, whose supremacy over, the, over all other forms of the Godhead has been established in the three previous Sandarbhas. In those first three volumes, it was stated in accordance with the Vedanti verse, 1 to 11, that the one and only reality, Tattva, is designated by three names, Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. These three manifestations are distinguished in the third chapter of the first canto of Srimad Bhagavat. Uh, in the following verse, however, it's specifically Brahman that is being pointed out. When these gross and subtle bodies, which are superimposed on the self through ignorance, are seen through by the appearance of authentic self-knowledge, then the immediate intuition of Brahman occurs. So Sutta Goswami is pointing out here that regarding Brahman, if we can be so contemplative and such contemplation would have to go deep to the point of a complete identification, a samadhi, so to speak, of what we really are. If we can enter that deeply and see through what's imposed upon us as a gross and subtle body uh, in our state of misidentification with the material world, if we can see through that, then the what will be intuited from that experience will be Brahman. We are not, basically, we are spirit soul. Now, that Brahman revelation will be without specificity, um, but at least it will, it is pointed out by Sutta Goswami in the Bhagavatam and highlighted here by Jiva in order to give us some insight into what is meant by the terminology Brahman. Brahman means setting aside all artificial impositions on ourself. If we can set those aside, then we can come to our, the pure essence of our being, which is spirit. And that's, that gives us a very definitive, 
definitive point of reference when it comes to Brahman understanding, an intellectual understanding of Brahman, and of course, a, a comprehensive appreciation for what is Brahman realization. Yet, because Brahman is distinct and is disclosed as unitary, there is no doubt whatsoever as to its nature. Consequently, Jiva continues, statements to ascertain Brahman from the Bhagavat are not being cited. Because, however, the manifestation of Sri Bhagavan and Paramatma are numerous, verses will be cited to determine their identities. So, Brahman is unitary. There's only one Brahman. That's, well, that's the nature of even the terminology Brahman. That all-encompassing, all-pervasive, all-conscious uh, awareness of being without, but there's no specificity. Brahman doesn't live somewhere or reside somewhere or display himself somewhere. When we say Brahman, Brahman is everywhere. Brahman is not of one nature or another nature in relationship with the material manifestation. Brahman is not of one manifestation or another manifestation according to how it is worshipped. It meaning it's, it is the ultimate unitary itness, so to speak. That's all it is. It's everything. That is consciousness. And we can't, we can't, there's no need to explain it. So therefore, Jiva says, we're not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. We're not going to take out those verses and, and analyze from the viewpoint of the Bhagavat what is Brahman. We're not going to cite them. I'm not going to discuss them because apprehending Brahman is, is already as much as you can apprehend Brahman, you can apprehend it by looking at Sudha Goswami's verse that we've just cited and looking at yourself and then stripping away everything that makes you what you are in the material manifestation. Strip away the material, your material environment, your material likes and dislikes. Strip away everything that is your false sense of being and identity. And there you have it. Let's start there for an understanding of Brahman. But I'm here and you're here because you want a relationship with Krishna. That's what my Sandarbhas are for. And if you've made it this far in your study, then what need is there for me to go into this detail? Jiva continues. Of these two, meaning Bhagavan and Paramatma, it was earlier concluded that Isvara the supreme regulator of Maya and the Jiva, is not formless. The supreme self, Purusha, who is imminent within all beings, Sarva Acharyami, has been propounded by the word Paramatma in those very Siddharvas. Such being the case, the Purusha is illustrated in precisely the same terms in the beginning of the third chapter of the first canto. In other words, Sutta begins his 
description of the various avatars by addressing the Purusha avatars. There would be no other avataric descents unless there was a material manifestation there for them to um, make themselves available to us uh, within this realm. It may be questioned here that the one absolute reality was earlier stated to have the three aspects of Brahman and so on. In this regard, what then are the distinguishing characteristics of Brahman or for that matter of Bhagavan or Paramatma? Do they indeed possess such attributes and what are they? Jeeva's posing the question. Anticipating such a question, from the sage Sonika and others, Sri Shuta responds as follows. Very beginning of the third chapter. In the beginning, prior to the cosmic manifestation, the Supreme Personal Absolute Bhagavan, intending to evolve the cosmos, manifested the form of the Purusha, who was enfolded within Sambhutam, him along with the tattvas beginning with Mahat, and endowed with the 16 evolutionary principles necessary for creation. We will uh, get into the details of that. So, Jiva Goswami continues. It is specifically Sri Bhagavan described earlier as inherently self-endowed with six intrinsic opulences in full, Bhagavat Sandarbha, who at the outset of creation assumed that particular form which is celebrated in the Vedas as the Purusha, Purusham Rupam. This is to be said that he manifested the form of, of the Purusha who was enfolded within him during the period of cosmic dissolution. Jiva's further elaborating here that this first Purusha coming from Sri Bhagavan, this first Purusha comes forth from Bhagavan and that that Purusha was enfolded within him when the, there was a the last cosmic dissolution. When the cosmos wrapped up last time, it entered into Bhagavan himself. And when there is again uh, an urge or a interest and intent on the part of Bhagavan for the material manifestation, there is an unfolding of that manifestation. For what purpose? In response, it is said, out of the intention to evolve the cosmos. Loka Shashrikshaya. In other words, he does so with the intent to manifest the living beings, loka or jivas, together with their collective and individual designations, upadis, who are merged in that very purusha. How has that form, the purusha, who was enfolded within him, depicted? In response, Suda says, he was united with Mahat and so on, meaning that the evolutionary principles, tattvas, beginning with Mahat, were implicit within that form. So when at the last folding up of the cosmic manifestation, Bhagavan took in this Purusha manifestation, he at that time took in a Purusha, which had all of the individualized jivas and all their individual and collective designations, upadis, 
and all of the ingredients for the material manifestation, these are were all there in the Purusha and wrapped up in Bhagavan. Now there's another intention to evolve the universes and they're coming forth. In this connection, the following proverb is relevant. The mighty rivers issuing forth from the mountains meet together and reach the sea. In this and other similar sayings, the word sambhavati is employed in the sense of meeting or coming together. The evolutionary principles, beginning with Mahat, were dissolved in him alone, the Purusha. So all of the manifestation is here given in the analogy as flowing together to reach the sea of the Purusha, which is enfolded in Bhagavan at the time of cosmic, the cosmic wrapping up of the universe. In this way, the form that is propounded in the Jagagri verse 131 is specifically, I'm sorry, Jagrihi verse, is specifically that of the first Purusha, described as the creator of the Mahat in verses such as there are three forms of Vishnu, Sattvata, Tantra, and as the Sankarshan who reposes in the Kasho Ocean, in Brahma Samhita. So now a little, a little more explanation Jiva's going into. Okay, so this Purusha has manifestations, three principal manifestations, and how are we to see these manifestations? What are their specific characteristics and where do they reside? Again, how was that form of the Purusha in the state of dissolution further, further illustrated? To this, it is said that he was endowed with the six evolutionary principles, sodasakalam, meaning that he is replete with the complete potency required for the evolution of the cosmos. Consequently, the one who manifested such a form is Bhagavan. The form manifested by him, however, is that of Paramatma, because it is the support and shelter of all that is to be brought forth by him. That is the conclusion to be drawn from the first. In other words, there is a distinction here. Jiva's pointing out. There's a distinction between Bhagavan and Paramatma, and the Paramatma that is manifested, that was previously enfolded within Bhagavan, has all of the principles and the potencies to bring forth the cosmic manifestation. So the source of all, of course, is Bhagavan, but the Paramatma, or this first descent of Bhagavan, as the Paramatma, has distinct characteristics. You'll note in the presentation of the slides that we'll speak from, uh, this uh, background, and it will distinguish uh, slides taken from the commentary as opposed to the uh, white background slides uh, from the direct Anucheda. So we'll read on here. The discussion of Bhagavan and Bhagavat Sandarva was of a general nature and did not evaluate the specific forms of Bhagavan, such as Krishna, Ram, or Nisringa. The fact that Bhagavan has innumerable form brings up the question whether he has one original 
primary form, the other forms being emanations from him, or whether all these forms are independent of each other. Moreover, if both Paramatma and Bhagavan are the absolute reality, what is the relation between them? Additionally, what is the role of Bhagavan in regards to the material cosmos? To answer all these questions, Shujiva Goswami begins this book, the fourth in the series of six. So we begin here. We said that we see this verse. This verse speaks, the Vedanti verse, of three manifestations, Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. Now, let us let us distinguish these three manifestations well for Burman, what 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 can we say there's no characteristics there's nothing that needs to be described there except it's the great all pervasive spiritual non-dual consciousness it's everywhere now let's look to the other two designations from the Vedanti verse, Bhagavan and Paramatma, and how are we to see them? What is the relationship between one and the other? And what are the characteristics of one and the other? Or are, or are they equal manifestations of divinity that has characteristics? We know Brahman is divinity, but it doesn't display any characteristics. These two aspects of divinity of, do display characteristics. Are they equal? Does one come from the other? This needs to be unpacked. So this is beginning of the Krishna Sandarbha begins that unpacking. Brahman is devoid of attributes, Nirguna is immediately apprehended through identity consciousness. We can identify with it if we can unidentify with our material involvement in false concepts of ourself. So it can be apprehended in that way. This is the implication of the verse 1333 spoken by Sutta Goswami. And this is where Jiva begins. When a Jiva is free from identification from the with the gross and subtle bodies by the appearance of authentic self-knowledge, such a person becomes eligible for Brahman realization. Unlike, unlike Brahman, the forms of Paramatma and Bhagavan are numerous, and therefore an analysis is required to ascertain the system by which such expansions occur. In the second chapter of the Bhagavad, Sutta Goswami affirms that absolute reality is one only as non-dual consciousness, advaya jnana. But it manifests in a variety of aspects pertaining to corresponding diverse levels or dimensions of being. It should be noted once again that the phrase non-dual consciousness does not imply an absolute utterly devoid of potencies as is propounded by the radical non-dualist Advaita Vadis. And that's where we left off with the Parama, in the Paramatma Sandarbha, that there, was, there are Shaktis of the Supreme, and that's, that's, that are distinct, and that is the world is not real. It's not of a. It's, it is a real manifestation of those shaktis. Uh, although how we relate to it can be spoken of in the terms of vivarta or uh, an illusion. The illusion is just how we relate to the world, but the world itself is not an illusion. It is a true manifestation of the parinam shakti of of Paramatma. So again, entering into ex explaining what we mean when we speak about the non-duality of the absolute. One, this non-duality means there is no other reality, tattva, 
either similar or dissimilar, that is self-existent. Two, the non-dual absolute is supported only by its own inherent potencies. So it exists on its own. It doesn't require anything else to exist. And its inherent potency is its very being. These potencies can have no existence without it as their absolute foundation. And all the everything else that is manifest is coming from that non-dual absolute. So that is the proper understanding of non-duality, not the Adwaitan understanding, uh, which we have discussed previously and will discuss many times in the future. I'm sure. Continuing here, there are two types of universes, transphenomenal and phenomenal. Both are unlimited in number. The transphenomenal universes are called Vaikuntha. Vaikuntha realms are eternal and atemporal, operating outside of any influence of time as we know it. Each is presided over by a specific form of Bhagavan. Although there are unlimited forms of Bhagavan, they are one ontologically. By contrast, the phenomenal universes undergo repeated cycles of evolution, sristi, and dissolution, laya. At the time of dissolution, the entire material creation becomes unmanifest through a process of involution, laya. The gross effects become being merged systematically into their subtle causes. As a consequence, the totality of living beings and primordial nature as a whole become enfolded within the body of Mahavishnu, also called Karnadakshai, or one who reposes on the causal ocean, the boundary between the spiritual and material universes. We'll continue. Mahavishnu is also called Purusha or the first Purusha, Paramatma, Narayan, and Vishnu. Mahavishnu also merges into the body of Bhagavan during the complete dissolution. Bhagavan, however, does not participate directly in the acts of creation and dissolution. When it is time for a new creative cycle to begin, he manifests the form of Mahavishnu. Here, the, a distinction, this important distinction is, is being made uh, that there is a difference between Bhagavan and this manifestation, which is referred to as the Purusha or Paramatma, Narayan, Vishnu, whatever nomenclature, those specific nomenclatures, not whatever nomenclature, but those specific nomenclatures which designate the supreme absolute in relationship to the material manifestation and which designate those characteristics of that aspect of the supreme which evolves the cosmos, enters into the cosmos, presides over the cosmos, uh, both, uh, both through the element, elemental part, uh, pradhan, uh, pradhana, and also the, cons the constituent part, the elements, and also the active ingredients, so to speak, time, those things that seem to bring those elements into motion, uh, give them some life. But still, even those 
aspects of the Lord's external energies, both those aspects are not conscious. So, Upadan and Nimitta, as we went over in the last Sandarbha. So we'll wrap up here. There's a couple more comments uh, in regards to this first Anucheta. I think what's uh, one important additional point we should uh, take out of it is different the different nomenclatures um, of the Chatur Vyuha as they apply to the Paramatma. And those will be elaborated upon in this in the second Anucheta. So a little technical here. It's going to get a little more technical, but uh, it's, it's significant for us to have this firm grounding in, in, in understanding these various descents of the Supreme Bhagavan into the material manifestation, how they differ in manifesting various characteristics of his divine nature, and all this laying a groundwork for our complete involvement in Swayam Bhagavan, uh, Rajendra Krishna, who is our ideal. But as they say, to, uh, to know him is to love him. And the more we know of Krishna's various forms and manifestations, uh, the deeper we will be able to enter into a loving relationship with him. Although all this detailed knowledge uh, may not be so significant uh, in, our, in that loving mood that we have with Krishna in his original form, we should take careful notice of the fact that when we are privileged with reading the transcendental dialogue of Krishna's most intimate associates in Vraj, they are completely aware of all these various manifestations of the Supreme Lord. And uh, specifically, uh, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, uh, uh, it, you know, he, he speaks about when he came in these other different forms. So this knowledge is, is central to that deep appreciation uh, and it helps to nourish that loving relationship, uh, which will become the very nature of our being um, in the ultimate sense. Ultimately, our emotional, our emotions will become our very being in service to uh, Krishna in Raj. So, uh, may seem detailed, may seem, uh, let me go to the Leela. It's much more, uh, much more pleasing. But uh, if we, if we can enter this in the proper mood, and if we look at the Leela that we want to enter into, we'll see that this groundwork is there, firmly established in the spiritual intellect of all those transcendental associates. I will stop for now. If there are any questions, I'm sorry I went a little over. I can try to address those.
And if no questions, I will thank you so much for your association. Panchakalpatubis cha, kripasinda bieva cha, patita nam pavanebio, vaishnavidya namo namaha. Dulal Chandra Prabhu ki jai. 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 Krishna Kirtan Ganana Tanapano Remamritambani Vira Vira Jana Priyavu Priyakaravu Nirmatanavu